truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Greetings. Happy Monday. Hopefully you had a great weekend. Welcome back here to the Steve Dace Show live in demand, on, on demand, on the blaze. I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. 888-900-3393 is the number. That's 888-900-3393. And you can always let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. For those of you listening today via Blaze Radio or later today on the podcast on demand, uh, last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. And if you are listening to us today via podcast, if you have a moment to leave us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice, only if you like the show, of course, don't lie. But if you do like us, we would appreciate uh, those. The more of those we get, the more likely we are to find people just like you. And thank you to all of you that have left us one of those five-star reviews already. Coming up a little bit later on in this hour, our good friend Bob Vanderplatz is going to join us. We've got numerous questions about the fate of Iowa's landmark heartbeat pro-life legislation. We're going to get uh, some clarification from him on that coming up uh, a little bit later on. Uh, Also, uh, our weekly look at my new book, Truth Bombs. We're going to take a look at one of the most important chapters in the book. This week, we'll be talking, I think this is the Trump chapter, men, is it not uh, this week? Isn't it the Trump chapter? Indeed. Todd has a look on his face like, I have done no planning for this, and I am not ready whatsoever. I've read the book multiple times. I'm always ready to go. Uh, I'm, all, yeah, he just, I'm always ready. That's right. It, it, he's like the Hulk. What you do with your anger? I just stay angry. I stay ready. He's ever ready. All right? So we'll get to that a little bit later on as well. But first, we begin, as we always do, with a rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by previewing what's going to be the big story this week, Trump, Kim Jong-un, Part Dois. The following clip is from Donald Trump's interview on Face the Nation prior to the Super Bowl. I like him. I get along with him great. We have a fantastic chemistry. We have had tremendous correspondence that some people have seen and can't Mm -hmm. even believe it. They think it's historic. And we'll see what happens. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to make a deal. But certainly, I think we have a very good chance of making a deal. So that's going to be fun. Speaking of the Super Bowl, Patriots owner Robert Kraft could be charged as early as today with soliciting prostitution. That's according to the Florida State Attorney's Office. The 77-year-old billionaire is among more than 100 people linked to several Central Florida day spas and massage parlors suspected of being used for prostitution and targeted by law enforcement during a months-long investigation into sex trafficking. And now, philosophizing with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So people are like, oh, it's unrealistic. Oh, it's vague. Oh, it doesn't address this little minute thing. And I'm like, you try. <laughs> you do it. Because you're not. Because you're not. So until you do it, I'm the boss. That's How right. about that? Our planet is going to make disaster if we don't turn the ship around. And so it's basically like there's scientific consensus that the lives of children are going to be very difficult. And it does lead, I think, young people to have a legitimate question, you know, should, is it okay to still have children? And I mean, not just financially, because 
people are graduating with twenty, thirty, a hundred thousand dollars worth of student loan debt, and so they can't even afford to have kids in a house. But also just this basic moral question, like, what do we do? The New York Post ran a story over the weekend about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez questioning where she actually lives and whether she actually lives in the district she claims to represent. Here are some quotes from the story. She has no district office and no local phone number, unlike the state's three other freshman members. Ocasio-Cortez has used her deceased father's Bronx condo on her voter registration since 2012 and even posed in the one-bedroom Bronx flat for celebrity photographer Annie Leibovitz in a Vogue magazine profile after her stunning November election. The Post emailed Ocasio-Cortez's spokesman, Corbin Trent, four times with specific questions, which were all ignored. Her apartment's next-door neighbor said she had never seen Ocasio-Cortez. Another neighbor, who has lived down the hall from the congresswoman's apartment for the last 40 years, said he'd never seen her or her boyfriend, Riley Roberts, who has claimed the address as his own since last spring. Speaking of her boyfriend, Riley Roberts, well, that's a story maybe for tomorrow. A former chairperson of the Republican National Committee, Michael Steele, had this to say about the foiled mass shooting plot by a former Coast Guard lieutenant. These are his people, all right? And he's not going to thank law enforcement because he's probably not happy about what law enforcement did. Learfield Sports Properties on Friday announced the indefinite suspension of longtime Iowa Hawkeye Radio Network play-by-play guy Gary Dolphin for saying this very racist thing about Maryland Terrapins player Bruno Fernando. That's a pretty good long-range shooting, and then Fernando uh, was King Kong at the end of the game. Leftists were outraged over the weekend when a video appeared showing Diane Feinstein meeting with some small children to have a serious discussion about climate change. We're asking her to vote yes on the Green New Deal. We are trying to ask you to vote yes on the Green New Deal. Okay, I'll tell you what. We have our own Green New Deal. Some scientists have said that we have 12 years to turn this around. Well, it's not going to get turned around in 10 years. What we can do Senator, if is this doesn't get turned around in 10 years, you're looking at the faces of the people who are going to be living with these consequences. The government and is supposed to be for the people and by the people and... You know what's interesting about this group is I've been doing this for 30 years. I know what I'm doing. You come in here and you say it has to be my way or the highway. I don't respond to that. I've gotten elected. I just ran. I was elected by almost a million vote plurality. And I know what I'm doing. So, you know, maybe people should listen a little bit. I hear what you're saying, but we're the people who voted you. You're supposed to listen to us. That's your your job. I'm 16. I can't vote. You didn't vote for me. When I was eight, I probably would have lobbied a senator if I'd gotten the opportunity to make it illegal for Arthur to run less than two hours a day. And finally, footage emerged also over the weekend of the alleged hate crime attack on Jussie Smollett. I must warn you what you're about to witness could be disturbing to some viewers. Is that him? Are we, do we have to go now? We have to right go now. now. Right now. Hurry up. Hurry up. Aren't you the man from the Empire show? That movie? Yes. Got a problem? Yeah. Um, um, why do you 
doing around guys, here? Guys, guys, come on, the accent. More white, more racist, hillbilly. Oh, KKK? Oh, 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 okay. Hey, stop right there. What are you doing in our town? Aren't you that empire? Yes, I am. I'm the gate Tupac. What's good? What's good? What the hell you doing over here? Get more aggressive, more aggressive. Stop Around his, around his neck. Let me fight back a little bit. Let me fight back. All right. Oh. Ow, that hurt. What the hell? Uh, you poor bleach poor on his. Please, I'm gonna get the water. Get hurry, but oh. hurry up. Oh, please stop doing it, please. Hey. Uh, this is MAGA country now. You don't belong here. We don't like. We don't like your gay seagull uh, ass over here. Uh, don't you ever bring your ass around here, boy, or we'll beat your ass again. Please don't do it, please. Hit him one last time to show we're serious. Uh, <laughs> And run away so the cops don't see anything that we already did. All right. Oh, why? Why me? Why me? What's that? Oh, that's good. You guys got cash app? No, you told me you got me Venmo. Venmo? I said cash app. Get the cash app you right now. You West Town Union me because I don't have my papers. And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's montage today brought to you by our friends at WaxRx. You might think you need a Silkwood shower after watching that montage, but uh, let's start small. When was the last time you had your ears professionally cleaned? Have you ever? You know, you've got itching ears, earache, that plugged up feeling, but you don't want to go to the doctor. It's expensive. It takes forever. Uh, Now you can take care of that uh, as you would at a doctor's office, but in the comfort and convenience of your own home, courtesy of our friends at WaxRx, and now you can get it without a prescription. So again, comfort, convenience, those are the two operative words here. You can do that with WaxRx, a professional cleaning that then soothes the ear with the pH-conditioned formula Right there in the comfort and convenience of your own home. So try the Wax RX system without a prescription and risk free today. Just go to usewaxrx.com. That's the website, usewaxrx.com, and use the offer code radio at checkout for free shipping. Uh, again, usewaxrx.com, offer code radio for free shipping. The, um, the, the, the Trump North Korea summit. We're going to make lots of friends this week, Steve. <laughs> well, I don't have too many to begin with. So let, let here's what I'm going to do. We're going to make this the roundtable topic later today here at The Blaze. Okay? And before I kvetch, because I, I, I can do much kvetching, I, I find this to be one of the most embarrassing moments for the American presidency in my lifetime is watching the groveling to genuflecting for slurping upon one of the most evil men on this earth, bound for hell. I don't get it. I don't understand it. And I hate it. Hate it. Like jawbone of an ass, turnover money changers, uh, fashion a whip of cords. All right? Break my foot off. Hate level. That's where I'm at with this. Maybe, though, maybe, maybe there is something that's in it for us as the American people. I am missing. Maybe it's just not as simple as terrible people doing terrible things to other terrible people terribly. Maybe there's something else. So we will discuss this separately today on the roundtable. 
as, as I'm going to try and have a serious conversation about it before I just lose it. Because I, the dude cannot abide. The, uh, let's get Ocasio-Cortez out of the way. And there's a connection to what happened there with Dianne Feinstein. I believe she called her out too over the weekend, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that happened too. Um, one of two things is going to happen here. And they both may occur. You know, I, I think you're going to see the Democratic Party make Ilhan Omar go away. And they'll just find it's a very Democratic district. They'll find a candidate to primary her and get rid of her. Because she is like a construct of, you know, Republican Party consultants of a, of a Democrat straw woman to run off of. We're, we're getting to that point now with Ocasio-Cortez now. We, if, you are, if, you are, if you are a member of the Democratic leadership, you have crossed the Rubicon of diminishing returns with her. That, that, that two minutes of video, if, if I were running Trump's 2020 campaign, I, I'd just run against her. I mean, I, I would just make her the face of the Democratic Party, regardless of who their nominee is. And, yep. and put that nominee in, the, in, a, in, in a lady or the tiger, Hobbs, Hobson's choice, where they either have to sister soldier, sister soldier her, which would split their own base, because she does represent a portion of their own base. We, we, we can't deny that. Um, or they'd have to go ahead and cuddle with her, Spooner, which is going to alienate a lot of the a lot of the flyover country Democrats win back. If if I were running the Trump 2020 campaign, we would start running against her right now. I mean, right now, what would that look like? I'd have my super PACs running uh, ads right now in battleground states. Stuff about uh, the earth's going to end, don't have kids, all that crazy stuff. Uh, we're going to sell off all your homes. I'm the boss. I, I, I would just be running those ads right now. Like I'd, like I'd dump a million in Iowa, which is nothing in terms of political ad spending corporately, but is a hell of a lot of money for Iowa. I'd dump it in Iowa. Why? Because what's the first in the nation vote? Iowa. Where are all the candidates going to be? Iowa, I'd start bombarding the airwaves. You couldn't watch, a, you know, a college basketball game in Iowa for the next month without an ad about her so that they are forced to answer and react to her. And you put them in a corner right now. So they're either on the record affirming all of this zany nuttiness or you put them in a position where they have to. I mean, what you see with those kids and Diane Feinstein is the worst you want to talk about terrible people doing terrible things uh, to other terrible people terribly? That's the worst of both instincts right there. An elitist politician. I've been at this for 30 years. I know what's best. Now, I mean, they first of all, they even asked her the wrong question. If you've been at this for 30 years, why have you done a damn thing about what you're telling us is going to end the world then all this time? That's actually the right question to ask from their point of view. All right? So you have Dianne Feinstein's elitism, elite, elitism, elitist progressivism on one end versus this no, versus a group of kids that have alleged that have clearly been indoctrinated into a cult. They have a religious commitment to this. And so you see the cult of progressivism versus the elitism produced by progressivism at the exact same time. And they can't, they can't occupy the same space and the worst of both worlds collide in that clip. That's the dynamic you want to show the American people right there. So if I were running Trump 2020, if I was sitting there in the political office over there at the West wing right now, we are, we are going to de facto make 
Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the nominee of the Democratic Party. And we're going to do it right now. Before anybody else establishes themselves, before there's ever a vote, before there's even a process, it's down to one, two, or three candidates. You're going to do it right now. And you're going to make it that they have to answer for her constantly. And it's clear, you never wonder when Paul writes to Timothy about the danger of putting people in positions of authority within the church at a young age. He doesn't mean numerically, because Timothy's a young man. He means spiritually, meaning they haven't reached a point of maturity in their belief system yet. You're watching it play out with the rival religion in the culture, progressivism. This woman is not mature in her faith. And so she is literally just checking boxes of shibboleths and stereotypes. And she's making it harder for them to close the sale with the American people. I mean, I I talked to two people in my family recently who don't follow much of this at all, who don't bring this, who, who don't, we don't even necessarily vote the same way. Sometimes they don't even vote at all. They brought her up to me unannounced recently. Whoa. To say she's just, that woman's nuts. That's what I'm talking about. That's, you make her the face. It doesn't matter who they nominate. She's she's who the left. She is. She said we're the boss. We're in charge. Then make them own that. That's what I would do if I were running uh, the the 2020 Republican Party uh, political apparatus, which really means Trump 2020 because it's all gonna um, you know orbit around his you know his son in this in this case. Uh, any thoughts on that before we move on? Absolutely. I said the exact same thing about Elon Omar um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, same thing could be said about her. Uh, if he is not tweeting about Elon Omar, even right now, actually, uh, every single day and just reminding uh, the, the world, forcing the world uh, to remember uh, the things that she has said and tweeted, uh, things of that nature. If he's not doing that every day, this is does he really want to win? Um, that's that's basically what what the the gist of it is. Same thing with Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. And no, she is no longer a fixation of right wing media. Uh, this has gotten one into territory where, where it's it's their fixation. I mean, she just signed a huge contract with Netflix to make a documentary mm-hmm. about her. Mm-hmm. So it's it's you know they're obsessed with her um, more I think than we are. I think it's gotten into the territory now where the reason she keeps getting coverage is because she cannot she she is this uh, she she is just a self parody uh, at this point. And boy, that was I, you had not uh, talked to Todd and I about uh, the the family member that you just described a few moments ago. Mm-hmm. That is bad news for Democrats. If it's pen- penetrating somebody like that who's just kind of apolitical, which I think is what you were kind of describing your family yep. as, that's nah, no. In fact, watching the way their side has operated over the years, I would be willing to bet my paycheck that New York Post story was planted yep. by by Democrats. Uh, the story about the funding that you're gonna we're gonna talk about tomorrow with yep. with her campaign, I'll, I'll, I I guarantee you that was also planted. Republicans don't do things like this to Democrats. They do these things like this to other Republicans. Okay, Democrats do this to anybody that's getting in the way of them winning and having power. Anybody. All right. And those to me look like warning shots. Like we, hey, any, you're in another district where we can nominate a yellow dog and they're going to win. We'll take you out too. Know your place. All right. Um, these look to me, Todd, like they are softening her up. Cause I think you, I think you could absolutely see them just decide the baggage of her and Ilian Omar. They're, Ilian Omar is like a social construct come to life. And I think we did try to make on the right Ocasio Cortez into their face, not knowing that she would actually just 
like come over supernova. the top rope on us yeah. and say, yeah, yeah, you're right, I am. Thanks. Socialist supernova. Yes, we. I mean, we tried to clickbait her, and she said, "You guys can't clickbait me. I'm going to blow myself totally out of proportion here." Well, I'm thrilled about all this, but I, the, the one thing we need to be careful about is uh, sh- sh- self. When we talk about self parody and social constructs. Uh, we we can't personalize her too much because we've overreached and again i lose the term we very loosely but the right cannot do that too much they've overreached on the dancing thing they they have to show her she is the epitome of progressivism that meeting in feinstein's office is progressivism it it it, it if we overpersonalize it it we, it's going to boomerang back on us. It, she has got it. The, the, she has got to be the destination, the place progressivism goes. Yeah, there's and no right gotta, quick. There's yeah. no hero in that clip. And I got Diane Feinstein is facing the very horde she helped to Cor- unleash for the last correct. thirty plus years. Yes. Yeah, and I got to push back. I mean, on the dancing, I, I agree with the overall sentiment. We don't want to. Uh, we don't want to have another day like we did a couple of weeks ago in conservative media where uh, the, you know, uh, this disastrous spending bill is about to uh, about to be signed into law. And uh, conservative media is talking about, ha ha ha, New York is stupid. We don't want to have another. And I think that's kind of the sentiment that you're as far as the dancing thing. That was a I'm convinced that is a leftist gaslighting tactic because there was there are there are stories like that. Um, but the overall sentiment that um, the overall sentiment is actually absolutely true. And the way you do that is just roll film, roll tape. Yep. Just let her talk. That's her little TED That's, talk right there in her yes. Snapchat is all we played there. Yes. Yeah. Just let her talk and just show that to the world. We're going to, the, the situation with the University of Iowa announcer, I would urge you to go over to, uh, uh, if you're a Blaze subscriber or just, you can go on YouTube if you're listening to the podcast and get We Talk Sports. Kurt Schilling and I go into that uh, quite a bit today and the, and the repercussions of, allowing fake racism to be weaponized. And and that's why the, this story has gone national. Because uh, if it was just about suspending a basketball announcer for the University of Iowa, nobody outside of our state here would care. I, so I, so we, won't, we won't have time today probably to get into that here during the montage. But we got into it quite a bit today, Kurt Schilling and I did. So I'd urge you to go over there and watch this uh, today's episode of We Talk Sports, or you can subscribe to that uh, via podcast as well. I want to get to the situation though with Robert Kraft. Because this is uh, the Patriots owner here, 77 years old. Um, and by all accounts, him and his original wife, they were married for decades. She passed away in 2001, and it was the quintessential American love story. Uh, he's He now has a girlfriend. There's some dispute about whether he is the father of her child. She's 50 years his, um, uh, his younger. We're not—I'm not saying this is morally okay, but we're not talking about a 70—I mean, a 77-year-old billionaire guy who hires a 30-year-old, a 25-year-old call girl on the upper, you know, east side of Manhattan or on the, you know, the the brownstone district of Boston who's doing girlfriend experiences to put herself through nursing school, right? It's not, this is not that kind of solicitation. We're not approving of that when we point that out, okay? This is different. He is over 2,000 miles from his home and he is the John in a human trafficking ring. And, and, and one of the things that Aaron didn't have in his montage that I think ties into this, 
is one of the other big name busts, and the Florida authorities are saying there's numerous big name busts, and they have everybody on video. Everybody with an arrest warrant, they have them on video. So Robert Kraft has an arrest warrant out now today. They've got him on video. That's what they're saying. Another, the other big name we know right now is a guy named John Childs. Now, John Childs is a huge Mitt Romney guy, big GOP donor, hedge fund guy. You know where he lives? Boston. What, if this was just, um, as some people are saying, a rich guy who wants to get uh, a, a rub and tug or whatever the heck it's called, okay? Two billionaires from Boston, Happened to just stroll into the same red light district in Jupiter, Florida. You buying that? You shouldn't. This, this is, there's something about this that um, seems a little worse than tale as old as time, folks. As this, there's something worse about this than um, the world's oldest profession, Rahab. If, if we're talking human trafficking, we're talking people in the country illegally, brought here specifically to essentially be sex slaves. There's, if you've been follow, if you've read into this story, um, I mean, these some of these women lived at this par, at these parlors. They were cook when the authorities came in. They were cooking their dinners out on the patio. This is what every human trafficking ring looks like. Didn't we just have a State of the Union address where the President of the United States? One of his main selling points was the crackdown at the border on human traffickers, how human trafficking busts are way up. I seem to recall that was one of the major points we raised at the State of the Union, was it not, Todd? Yeah. We're not, so again, we're not saying the other way of doing this um, that is more commonly known. We're not approving of this, of that. We're just saying in this environment in particular, where we have learned stories about Jeffrey Epstein, another major political donor who essentially had a rape island, I guess. What else would we call it? I mean, what, I mean, that's what the, him and all these celebrities, they went there and did, right? Um, th- they're thousands of miles away from their hometown. What are the odds that two billion, first of all, there, there's not that many billionaires in the world anyway, Okay. So two billionaires from the same town busted in the same solicitation ring thousands of miles away from where they live. Do some math, guys. What does that look like to you? I'll tell you what it looks like to me. What this looks like to me is um, word got around to men in these circles that this is where you go. I think this is... I think people like Clay Travis, and I like Clay, most of what he does, but I think people who are joking about this and thinking it's no big deal and prostitution ought to be legalized anyway, I, I think you need to look at this a little bit deeper when the words human trafficking get involved, okay? And you start looking at the circumstances. He's engaged in this on multiple occasions, thousands of miles from his home, and it's another billionaire from the same town as well. That has all the earmarkings of everything we're trying to crack down on on the border, Todd. Uh, well, you got me thinking with that, back to Ocasio-Cortez and the Post story about where she lives or where she doesn't, the the underbelly and under just about everything these days is getting increasingly 
chilling and X-rated. And it speaks to your Clay Travis point. We we are just so hot take oriented and flippant. And uh, if you can't find the resolve to make sure, regardless of who the person is, the team, it's sports at all. If you can't just do your due diligence on the matter of stopping sex trafficking, I got to be honest, everything else we talk about on a regular basis, pretty just it just doesn't matter. Republican, Democrat or otherwise, if we, if we don't have a base level of disgust and I think that's the point you're making, Steve. Yeah, these women are chattel. If yeah. that's what if that's if it is what it looks like it is, yeah. we're talking about using people as chattel. That's yeah. what we're talking about. And so you you you've got it's not a it's it the last thing that this is is a New England Patriots sports thing. It, think about those girls and the lives that they are being forced to live and seek justice otherwise you don't deserve it anyplace else think about a 77 year old billionaire whose girlfriend is 50 years younger than him and how many discreet if he needs to get his freak on how many far more discreet ways there are for him to do this countless countless ways we couldn't even porn stars literally jump on twitter and advertise themselves to men like him to be their sugar daddy openly all right so you get you get banned for saying a man is a man and a woman is a woman but porn stars literally advertise themselves to went to men like robert Kraft. And yet him and another billionaire are down in Florida at the same place. That that smells very, very rotten. I think there's going to be more details about that. Stay tuned. Homeowners, beware. You may think, hey, I've got identity theft protection. So when I see stories like another major bank was hit with a data breach uh, and 24 million identities were stolen, you may think, hey, I got to be diligent, but I have nothing to worry about. That may be true uh, when it comes to your identity. And if you don't have identity theft protection, I would advise you to get it. But folks can, uh, scammers can still use the information that they have taken. Uh, and use that to claim that they're you with second or third parties. Like, for example, when it comes to your home's title. Now, you know, most economists will tell you that, uh, you know, a home is the most valuable investment most Americans will ever own in their lifetimes, particularly the equity uh, that goes into that home. And so now they may not be able to, you know, uh, steal your identity. They may not be able to uh, pilfer your credit card or your PayPal account because you've got identity theft protection. What they can do, though, though now is because they have a checking account number, they've got the last four digits of a SOCH, maybe a middle initial and maiden name, you know, the sorts of things that you use when you log on to second and third party websites to take care of business online and, and you use that information to verify that you're you, well, they now have that information as well. And in this day and age, a lot of our home titles are online like everything else. So they can go on a county recorder accessor site, use that identifiable information, forge a signature, and now suddenly maybe they've refiled your home or they have uh, taken out loans and, and HELOCs uh, on your home and stick you with the payments. Don't let that be you, especially when for just pennies a day, you can have the protection you're looking for from home title lock. And who knows, maybe you've already been a victim or you've been targeted and don't yet know it. Home title lock will give you today, it's normally a $100 value, but a free title scan and report. That's right, free for being a member of the Blaze family right now at hometitlelock.com. That's hometitlelock.com. We welcome back from some vacation, our good friend Bob Vanderplatz from the family leader. 
Wow, look at look at that contrast of skin tone. Look at that. <laughs> so one guy is one guy's been in Florida for the last couple of weeks. Another guy has been living here. The worst winter in the state of Iowa's history. Brutal. It is now official. It, it, it's brutal. I Darla, soul crushing <laughs> is what it is. I said to Darley yesterday. You remember last week that, Sunday? That's Mrs. Vanderplatz, by the for, way. For your birthday, we were on the beach watching a sunset. And now we are scooping out ice and snow. And I'm not sure what it all was yesterday, but we were scooping out a lot of stuff. And it was hard work. Uh, but we're, we're glad to be back. The only thing is that people keep calling it a vacation. I was working most of the time. There's a few times I decided to enjoy Southwest Florida. This 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 has been really bad. I mean, I, I just – it's been soul crushing. I don't know what to say. I mean, we've had the – we've already set the record for most snow. Uh, for a winter, we set the record for the most snow in a month. Now, I grew up in Michigan, so there's I'm, no end in sight. No, no, <laughs> I, I, I grew up in Michigan, so I'm accustomed to a lot of snow. Lake we get effect. that we get that lake effect all the you time, bet. but we'd also get a lot of that thermal insulation. So we get a lot of snow when it's like 28 to 30 degrees. So you could still, you know, Todd, you like to ski. I used to love to go out and sled. We used to actually go scrape off Troy Van Tynan's driveway and, and go play basketball, <laughs> even in the dead of winter. Oh, sure we because, did. You because with a sweatshirt and a hoodie on, you know, with th- that humidity and 28, 30 degrees, you're perfectly fine, you know, when you get to run and you get your body heated up out there. The, in Iowa's colder in the winter than Michigan is. What we have had this year has been the worst of both worlds. We've had a Michigan-level snowfall with the polar vortex of the flat Midwest at the exact same time. Like, so yesterday I went out to take, we didn't get too much snow on Saturday night. So I'm like, I'm going to save the the money on uh, snow removal and just shovel it this time. There was so much ice. There was so much <laughs> blowing drifts and the, and the drifts at the end of our driveways are already like eight feet high that it was, it was literally a pointless exercise. And there's, there was no point in calling the plow this time either, because in an hour, everything they just moved, half of it would just be blown right back on the driveway anyway. It is, it is soul crushing is what it is. I said to Darla, we got back in from scooping and Darla's a, a farm girl. So we brought the farm girl out in her and put a shovel back in her hand and, and it was really good. But I said, you know, the good news is it feels like only six below zero wind chill out here while we're doing this. It is. And you look at the forecast, it is. Don't, don't. I, I made the mistake of looking at an advanced forecast, looking for hope because it's going to be March here at the end of the week. Mm. Abandon hope. There, 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 there is no hope. The outlook isn't bright for no. the Mudville 9. All right, let's get to some issues that uh, the rest of the uh, audience probably cares about more than our uh, wintry weather woes uh, here in the Midwest. Um, we're going to discuss this a lot more today on the roundtable. I, I want to get your take. And I'm not. I'm not here to debate you. Sure. Okay. I don't even know what you think because I've not even asked you this yet. I, I, I'm watching what I think is one of the most humiliating behaviors by a sitting president in my lifetime is the genuflecting to, slurping upon, and exalting of uh, North Korea's dictatorship. And they're going to have this um, – uh, they're going to have summit two in, in – in Vietnam, and if that isn't a metaphor, I don't know. I don't know what is America, okay? We're going to go to Vietnam, the only war we actually lost. And we're going to genuflect to one of the worst people on planet Earth. Help me, before I just kvetch, which I really want to do here, 
Am, is there something good here for the American people? I don't understand. Are we getting something out of this? Is this is there some America first angle happening here? Because I find this to be vile. And I think this summit ought to be sponsored by Viagra. Because I think this is going to lower T levels all throughout the 50 uh, states uh, watching this take place. What am I, what am I, what am I missing, Todd? Bob, what am I missing? Well, Steve, typically I'm a glass half full kind of guy. You know that about that's me. That's why I'm, I'm, I know. I'm, I'm that's very, why I'm very waiting for you optimistic. to help me out here. Yes. But the thing is, when you say you're confused by this or conflicted by this, uh, there's people in his own administration that are conflicted by this as well. Understanding the art of the deal which he likes to bring up a lot because he wrote the book on it. Part of the art of the deal is, can you trust the person you're making the deal with? And the answer to this is absolutely not. Zero. All the trust he's built up is bad trust. You can Anything that he would do would be a bad thing. Well, let me push back on that. I mean, what would, what would cause you to believe you— I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Make well, I would say the dad, the grandpa, him, yeah, yeah, as far as yeah. killings, uh, the brutal exercises that he's done. And— but being Why don't a, we just offer well, look, this Sudetenland? Well, let me ask you this, or, or say this to you. As a former high school principal, we used to say with students with bad behavior or who had a bad behavior potential, our job was to de-escalate them. Mm-hmm. And to de-escalate them, we had to make sure good behavior was in their best interest, that they had to figure out, okay, this would be in my best interest to display good behavior. So for him to go into the art of the deal with what he used to refer to as little rocket man, and say, it's in your best interest economically. It's in your best interest to the relationship with South Korea. It's in your best interest with relationship with the free world economically. But to, as you say, to rise him to the stature, to put him on a level playing field, I don't know why you're doing that. Play from a position of strength. That's the other part of the art of the deal. We're the United States of America. You are North Korea. You have got a bad resume on about every front. Now, I'm willing to de-escalate you to tell you why this is in your good behavior to take your fingers off of those nuclear weapons to which would be suicide for you and for your people. But to say, I'm going to elevate you before I go in the meeting and tell the world what a good actor you are and what a great leader you are, to me, I don't get that. A lot of Americans that may not follow this as closely as guys like us do are confused and I'm not a huge fan of the uh, progressive boy toy uh, run in Canada either. Okay, but a lot of a lot of everyday Americans are confused as to why our president seemingly has a better relationship with the leader of North Korea than the Prime Minister of Canada or um, uh, you know uh, the Prime Minister of Germany. Now. I think he's got legitimate beefs with those oh, sure countries, and frankly, I share almost all of his criticisms. I just I don't understand why the guy who's literally, literally killing his people, um, literally sending them to gulags, literally starving them, literally raping them, somehow gets exempted from his criticism. A lot of Americans are struggling to reconcile these things. Well, there's some countries, and you mentioned them, and, and there's a lot of others who have been trusted allies with us for a long time that he seems to be, I'll be way harder on you. And then you take one that uh, that is not a trusted ally. That's a person that says that they, they, they would like to destroy America. And yet we're going to elevate you as this great leader. That's what we don't get. That's Why are they a different than Iran? Uh, 
I have no matter of fact. Iran at least has a commodity that we could use, like oil. Sure. I mean, it would seem to me if you were gonna if you were going to go soft on one of the regimes, it would seem to be the one that could actually impact the you know the cost of petro globally. I don't understand. What does North Korea yeah. offer us? Tree bark. And you, and the thing is, what what can they offer us that we can trust? Because I happen to believe North Korea is way closer to Iran yeah. than they are to the United States of America. I believe North Korea is way closer to Putin and Russia than they are to the United States of America. So what is it that they can offer up that you can trust? And that's why whatever the deal is, I'm not even sure what the deal would be and how it could be verified. And what what is it that you can verify if you can't trust it from the beginning? And so to me, it looks on many levels, it seems like America, you know, there's this hope out there that we can reach some sort of grand grandiose deal. But I think the concern you have, are we just being played here? The the president comes from a generation. He's a baby boomer, where this this where the saying uh, only Nixon could go to China came from, and so one of the triangulation strategies that Nixon tried during the Cold War in the 1970s was to be, have a very friendly relationship with China, uh, and 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 have an economically advantageous relationship with them in order to triangulate against the Soviet Union. Is it possible he thinks he's doing the same thing with China here in the place of the old Soviet Union and North Korea now uh, is in the place of China? But again, economically, they're light years away from being any kind of a even if that even if that were his analysis, they are light years away from being any kind of economic threat to China. China now economically is far stronger than the Soviet Union ever was. Because they've they've basically become a, a, a in a way a quasi uh, capitalistic country in order to avoid the fate of the Soviet Union, right? It, but could that I, I get, I'm trying to come up with something that gives me the the answer that's not the most humiliating option. Well, I, I'm not sure what it is because if you take a look at Kim Jong Un and you take a look at President Trump. President Trump's very open about if he were not president of the United States today, we would be in war with North Korea. He has said that multiple times. That Do you agree with that? No, I don't. I don't either. Yeah. But he's saying if he were not president today, we'd be at war. He would also say the toughest person to negotiate with, to come to any form of terms that would be beneficial to the United States, would be North Korea and Kim Jong-un. And now he's saying, he may be saying, you know, look at, I'm the master of the art of the deal. Watch me go to Vietnam with the North Korea leader and watch me come out with this great deal. The problem of it is, I don't care what the deal is, I just think there's a high level of you cannot trust on this end. So how much weight can you put into any deal that you would reach? We're, we're, he's already taken denuclearization off the table. I assume you saw that. I did. So again, because what, what, what is the point of the meeting? But, but why did he take denuclearization off the table? Because that is his only weapon right. to the United States it, or anybody it, Essentially, else. he just did for Kim Jong-un what Reagan refused to do for Gorbachev when Gorbachev wanted SDI, wanted Star Wars taken off the table. Sure. At Reykjavik, and Reagan said no. Because if you're asking me to take that off the table, now you've just told me what your pressure point is. Right. You've just communicated, you want some art of the deal, you just told me what your leverage point is, right? Right. So- what I, I I don't know what they offer us. I don't know what they how they threaten us. This makes I, I I don't understand it. And I'm like you. I'm here where I'm like I don't get it. I'm sitting here. I'm watching. I'm hopeful. I think Pompeo. I think Bolton. I think there's several others who I think they're conflicted as well. I really do believe that they're conflicted here. And so what happens 
when you have the president of the United States going with the leader, leader of North Korea and saying, this is the deal, what tangible, what teeth does it have, when already the biggest tooth we wanted out in this deal was denuclearization, and that's off the table. All right, something I've gotten uh, a lot of questions about uh, the last couple of weeks, we have uh, highlighted with you before uh, the landmark uh, legislation that Iowa passed last year, um, the heartbeat bill that Iowa passed, that essentially said, uh, if if a, if, a, if a being has a heartbeat, a heartbeat always signifies life and you can't kill it. Um, this went to state court. Planned Parenthood didn't want to file a lawsuit against this in federal court because they didn't want to create the potential of a, of a Casey type of a court case that could call the merits of Roe into question because the merits of Roe have not been called into question at the Supreme Court since 1992. Mm -hmm. That was when we had the KCB Pennsylvania case. So they filed this in state court. Um, the The state judge basically said, and we talked about it at the time, uh, that your side made no, I think you used the word compelling argument, right. why uh, you still shouldn't kill something <laughs> with a heartbeat. Okay. Which that's, is not, said, that's not compelling enough. No, no. Because nothing is more compelling than I just want to be able to kill somebody if I don't want them. Mm -hmm. That's really what we're talking about. That, that you can't make an argument against me when my conscience just says, I want, is so seared. I, I want to be able to end life. It's not convenient for me to acknowledge. Right. Um, this then went to the state Supreme Court. And the state Supreme Court uh, discovered something. When was Iowa's constitution ratified? Remind me. It was in the uh, late 1800s, but I don't know the exact year. All right. So we're talking at least 120 years. Mm -hmm. So it's amazing that we didn't realize this for 120 years until now, which kind of calls into, uh, I guess, dispute all of their previous interpretations of the Iowa constitution if they kept reading it and didn't find this until now. Mm -hmm. But suddenly, after 120 years, they found that there is a constitutional right to practice child sacrifice in the state of Iowa. Now, at the governor's state of the state address, uh, Governor Reynolds signed this legislation. Uh, she defended it during the last gubernatorial campaign. And frankly, I think it's a major reason why she survived when almost every other Republican that was vulnerable in our state got annihilated last year. Okay. Uh, she announced that she will not pursue an appeal against this uh, uh, Supreme Court decision in Iowa. This made a lot of the national wires. And I'm getting a lot of questions from people who are who view this as a capitulation. How do you guys here at the Family Leader view this? Because this was essentially your legislation. You know, it's interesting because uh, we at the Family Leader, we talked a lot about this right away. Mm -hmm. And it was a split decision even on our team about what is the best process to go forward with. Um, obviously, we have a very activist court. I think uh, we will be another New York if this court's decisions get to stand and they get to hold, especially if Roe v. Wade gets overturned. And where the Supreme Court made this constitutional foundation fundamental right uh, to an abortion was after the 72-hour ruling. That's when they said, you know, that's no longer in effect because you can't deter a woman from getting an abortion when she wants to get an abortion. So they already played their hand. They already showed us what they're going to do. We knew it should be in federal court because Planned Parenthood never debated heartbeat. They debated access and viability. Well, if it's access and viability, that's a federal court. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's not a state court. Mm -hmm. But the, the judge was intent that it would stay in his court in the state system. So now Kim Reynolds, her only appeal option is to the same Supreme Court that just said we found a constitutional right to an abortion, which – 
precedents with Supreme Courts, they get etched even deeper the more you start challenging those things. So what she decided, matter of fact, I talked to her about this. Uh, privately, I talked to her about this, and she was hugely conflicted over what do I do. And she decided the best thing to do, and she gave a speech at our life rally last week, Thursday, was – a, we need to, to change the way we select judges to the Iowa Supreme Court. You and I have argued that after we kicked off the, mm -hmm. the previous three judges. And I think that's going to happen this year. This legislative – something Governor Branch said should have done, she's going to do. Two is we need to put in the Constitution with an amendment about there is no constitutional right to abortion. We're going to clear it up for you. There is no constitutional right to abortion. But that's a long process. And so the other thing we did is we said – we went to the legislature and said, guys, you need to double down on this thing. I don't know where this is going to go, but a personhood bill, uh, a conception bill, just made it out of committee. What is happening is that the sanctity of human life is getting debated bigger than life in the state capitals right now. What Kim Rose was most concerned about is that she believes, as I believe, Roe v. Wade is going to get overturned. And when Roe v. Wade gets overturned, I believe it should be applied to all 50 states. But more likely, it's going to be turned over to each individual state. And she is concerned that we are going to ratchet it up, that Iowa will be the most pro-abortion state. You need to keep appealing the, to this court. They're going to right. keep expanding this to the point that if Roe v. Wade is overturned, yeah. you're so far behind yeah. the rest of the country, basically. And, and, We're almost out of time, 10 okay. seconds. So, Steve, what you and I talked about is the founder of the writers of the Constitution were also some of the first legislators in the state of Iowa, and they voted no abortion. And we are back with Hour 2 of the Steve Day Show, live and on demand on The Blaze. That would be me. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. 888-900-3393 is the number. 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedaystevedays.com is how you can email us. D-E-A-C-E. -E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. We like to stand with those who are taking a stand. And Miss Victoria Hurst is taking one of the toughest stances you can take in any walk of life. That's when you stand up to your own loved ones, the people you care about the most, your own family. Uh, she is uh, part of the family of William Randolph Hearst, the great American tycoon, and one of their properties, Cosmopolitan Magazine, which has become more and more adult in recent years. And Victoria is uh, disappointed uh, with that and wants to encourage her family's business to practice. If they're not going to do censorship, then how about at least some good stewardship? And if you want to do more Playboy style of, uh, of publishing, I guess, okay. But then our publication here, she says, ought to be shielded from minors the way publications like Playboy our, I mean, go to any anywhere you live in America that you're listening to me right now. Go through a grocery store, the local grocery store checkout counter. Chances are you're going to see a Cosmopolitan magazine there and read uh, what uh, in big letters there. Read some of the the previews they're offering of what's inside and recognize that uh, your children, uh, Todd's daughters, my daughters, yours, are reading that every time we go to the store. Okay, so if this is something you're willing to take a stand against uh, and stand up with Victoria Hurst for, visit the website CosmoHurtsKids.com. That's H-U-R-T-S, CosmoHurtsKids.com. 
Well, let's get to it. We are continuing to look at my new book, Truth Bombs, Confronting the Lies Conservatives Believe to Our Own Demise. And hopefully you've gotten your copy so you can follow along as we go through this chapter by chapter. And uh, we're going to kind of just touch on highlights. There's, if, if you haven't yet read the book, trust me, you're not getting um, the full napalm effect uh, of what is inside. You're getting kind of the Cliff's Notes version. But you can get your copy at bookstores everywhere. But right now at Amazon.com, you can pick up a copy of Truth Bombs, Confronting the Lies Conservatives Believe to Our Own Demise, uh, endorsed by Glenn Beck, Mark Levin, Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, Dan Bongino, all people you have proven that you like more than me. That's why I needed their endorsements. All right. So if you don't want to take my word for it, take theirs. And if you have bought the book, and if you're willing to leave us a five-star review at Amazon, uh, many of you have already done that. Thank you. Keep those coming, please. Uh, appreciate that as well. So this this week, we're going to get to, um, and we're going to discuss in this hour, the chapter that I have solely devoted to Donald Trump. And before I turn this over to Todd and Aaron to uh, highlight the parts about uh, this chapter they would like us to discuss, um, if you haven't read it yet, there's a reason why Trump gets his entire chapter. When this book was written uh, a year ago, there was no way to know. You know, when we wrote this book a year ago, Michael Cohen was the president's attorney. All right. Now he's a turncoat. Uh, I mean, there was no way to know how things were going. At least that's the way that he's being branded. Um, there's, there was no way of knowing what the state of the Trump presidency was going to be a year from now. Who in Trump world would still be relevant and who would not. And the issues addressed in this book are bigger and larger and longer than Donald Trump's decision to get active in Republican Party politics in 2011. Far, far greater and longer than that. And I, I wanted to write a book that would address those larger concerns aside from Trump. But he is the face of the Republican Party now. It is his party. And it, there's no way to completely avoid writing about him. And, and I think the great lie that is told about Donald Trump is that he is the solution um, uh, or the problem for the Republican Party. In fact, that's, that's the lie that we confront in, in this chapter, the second lie of the book. Donald Trump corrupted our movement. The truth bomb is that Trump is neither the problem nor the solution. He is, he is symptomatic of them. He took advantage of them. Um, his materialization is a byproduct of them. What do I mean by symptom? When you go to the doctor and you say, doc, what's wrong with me? And he says, well, after checking you out, you got a runny nose and a fever. Well, I know that. Those are the symptoms. I came here because I recognized my symptoms. I need you to tell me what is causing these symptoms to occur. So, I decided I'm going to devote one entire chapter of this book to what, to my view, having a front row seat of this of this play, the 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 scene that Trump is responsible for or a party to, and then before and after he is largely not mentioned in this book. Maybe only once or twice more I can think of off the top of my head does he come up past this chapter, and he barely comes up before it. So, with that said. Gentlemen, I turn it over to you. This is the chapter devoted entirely to Donald Trump, both my history and interactions with him and observations of him. Todd, I'll start with you. Well, 
people probably think even to this day that you know you were gonna go with Cruz all along. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, if you don't want to take his word for the fact that that's not true, t- take mine. Uh, it it it's not. It wasn't remotely true. And as long as I work for Steve, I bet one of the conversations I will remember the longest for the rest of my life is the conversation we had. I remember where I was, what I was doing, and we talked for a long time about can we do, can we, us, hitch our wagon to Donald Trump? Mm -hmm. Not the rest of you, just us first. We game theoried it all out, and you know, we basically, you know, Steve's very confident as you know in his instincts so he just keeps throwing it out there and i uh, and i listen to it and then i yeah but what about this i don't do and so he riffs off that uh so he was really trying to figure out uh, this moment is different and even though a, a guy like ted cruz is there uh, we, we we cannot afford not to look under this rock we've got to figure out what's there and how substantive it is that's point one point two steve over the years on his radio show, I have listened to him before I worked for him. I take on he's if he has to ask the hard questions and make things uncomfortable for your sake. It's happened with Ann Coulter. Uh, it's happened with giants in the uh, 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 Protestant radio industry. What Regnery? It, for, I don't know the names, but the guys you've interviewed. Tom, on you mean, Tom, Tom Minnery, Minnery, Excuse yeah, me. He I ran Focus on the Family Citizen Link for years. Where yeah. it was extremely uncomfortable, but he did it because he thought it had to be done. I put all of that into the hopper to say that w- when the incident happened in July with John McCain, mm-hmm. and then thereafter the incident uh, with Ben Carson, where a level of uh, destruction, personal destruction, uh, uncomfortability on that level happened, all of your figuring out, Steve, all of your experience. When those moments hit, what did you learn about, forget Trump for a second, the moment we had arrived to? Because I think that's ultimately where you're going in this chapter. It it doesn't really have to do with Donald Trump. It has to do with this moment in time and how we got there. What did you learn? What light bulbs went on? What What path did you have to throw aside because it just simply didn't apply anymore? I thought things had changed and I went into this process and some of it is I'm a guy. All right. And every guy has a fragile ego. Ladies, every guy does. It's just a matter of how fragile it is in certain areas and how self-destructive he can become because of how fragile it is. Okay. Um, And, Ladies, you've ever were in high school or college or later in life and you look at a guy that you think is out of your league and you and you look at his girlfriend or wife and you think, how did she get him? I can guarantee you, you, you can disagree with me. I don't think you will. I can guarantee it's almost always because she pursued him. And that's one of the most flattering things. Men, we are taught we have to be, initiate all the time, take all the risk, right? When someone comes after us, it's hard to say no to that. Hard to say no to a pursuer. Um, because it's one of the greatest validations you can have. You're, see, yeah, you know, right? No, agreed. I mean, one of the things that goes on in this chapter, at the same time Donald Trump is pursuing me, 
um, I am being offered a chance to take over Afternoon Drive in New York, his native New York City. And I was I went out there to compete with Eric Metaxas and Joe Walsh, who actually ended up getting the job, the former congressman and a few others. And the week I spent out there, the first day, um, I put him on. I asked him to come on the air with me because I knew that would be really impressive to the New York audience. And and on only a few hours notice, Trump did it, came on with me for a good half an hour. We had a great conversation. And. It's really hard. I don't care how solid. There's a reason there's whole chapters in Proverbs warning you about losing yourself at the king's table. It is very difficult. You're, I'm, an, I'm a kid born to a 15-year-old mom in Iowa who barely made it out of community college and was literally thrown out of four-year university because I spent an entire semester doing intramural basketball, party balls, and uh, Tecmo football, okay, and not going to class. Really hard when one of the most recognizable men on planet Earth pursues you to not listen. Really hard. And you can make all kinds of rationalizations in that process. And, for, and it got me to wondering, maybe we could use someone like this. Maybe character doesn't matter as much as I always thought it did. Maybe worldview doesn't matter as much as I always thought it did. And what I learned in this process is that it, those things actually matter more than I thought they did. It's the other way around. I had it backwards. And the moment where, that you talk about where this is crystallized and you were with me that day yeah, is uh, our good friend Bob Vanderplatz, who was with us last hour. They do this family leadership summit every summer. And this was the biggest year yet because it was the summer before the Iowa caucuses. And the Republican Party of Iowa didn't want to have the straw poll because the establishment hates the facts, the fact that candidates like Ron Paul and Michelle Bachman and Mike Huckabee do well when they want to have their hand-picked corporatist candidates. But the problem is the straw poll is a test of organizational strength and you got to attract the activists and those kind of candidates don't. And so they always lose the straw poll. So they, they were looking for an excuse to, to shelve it, and they, they basically did. Even though it was the biggest fundraiser the Republican Party of Iowa has, they wanted to get rid of it because they got tired of elevating candidates that you like as opposed to the ones they prefer. And so the family leader, recognizing that this was going down, they already did this event in the, in the, late, in the, mid, in the late summer anyway. They specifically put it in Ames where the straw poll was. And instead of and around the exact same time the straw poll would be, so it would effectively take the place of the straw poll, and the grassroots activists in Iowa would still have an event to kind of galvanize them and gauge who they're motivated behind. And I was there that day doing all kinds of media uh, for uh, um, USA Networks, for Breitbart Television um, Networks, and. Um, I was going to meet with Trump that day. And I don't know this for sure, but I presume he was going to try to close me on the notion of going to, going to work for him. And I had given them a few tests. Like I had given them several names of people to contact that I thought would be uh, the right kind of, that would tell me if they were serious or if this was a novelty campaign. They, they went after every one of those people. They, they called every one of them that I'm aware of. Which is why we had that really long yeah. conversation because this might actually yeah, be yeah, happening. Yeah, can you do a rent a, can you do a rent a candidate? Yeah. Meaning someone that doesn't have your core principles, but, but you know, be, might have some of the same laments and concerns. So there can be a, there can be a temporary, um, there could be a temporary, 
uh, alliance. And a lot of people think that Trump bought off conservative leaders. That's actually what Mitt Romney tried to do. Romney would send like like uh, luxury recliners to like James Dobson and people like that. He would Romney did stuff. Romney was the one that tried to buy people off, in my view. What, what Trump essentially said to us is he could be bought off. <laughs> I mean, what Trump essentially said to people, now I have no idea how he got people like Jerry Falwell Jr., who I've never even met. I have no idea how he got him to be clown himself. But how Trump attracted initially me. It didn't or, take much. That's, I'm sure, the answer to that. Or, or guys like Jeffrey Lord, yeah. who I greatly admire. Okay. How Trump got into some of our circles is, you know, Romney between 2008 and 2012 didn't come to any of our conservative events at all. He did nothing to woo us at all. Trump actually pursued us. He actually went out of his way to get to know a lot of us. When a lot of Republic, you know, moderate to liberal Republicans from places like New York thought we were, you know, vampires deserving of, you know, curses and garlic. He, he was, he, he wanted to be around us and he, and he, and he wasn't unnatural around us. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, a caricature, number one. Number two, there was enough evidence in Trump's life that when he looked, when he said stuff to you that basically said, if you rally around me and can prove to me all your crazy conservative stuff will help me win, I'll give it to you. I think we've got evidence in Trump's life that he was just that soulless at times. That's there was there was not you weren't without evidence that when trump said i will do what you want if you give me what i want is there evidence was there plenty of evidence sure. in trump's life yeah. that he might actually be willing to do see the the bushes of the world came to people like me and said he, you must sell out and lie to your conservative base to a certain extent to have a seat at the table trump came to people like us and turned it around and said i'm your huckleberry if you if if it, if it works and it can win Anchor babies. I don't even know what that is. Tell me what it is. I'll say it. If, it, if it, and there was evidence to believe, you know, maybe we can make this system work for us this time. You've been wandering around in the desert yeah. for forty years. Maybe, yeah. maybe this time someone would be our social construct as opposed to us being one for them. Okay, so uh, the idea that Trump corrupted our movement is not true. Trump offered a lot of there have been people corrupted by Trump. We've seen evidence of that. I just mentioned a name. Um, But a lot of the the, a lot of the the way Trump ingratiated himself was with conservative leaders is he showed them he was earnestly interested in pursuing their goals. And you've seen evidence of that as president. Like, you know, the moving of the embassy to Jerusalem, for example, we've had presidents for 25 years since Bill Clinton promised this couldn't do it. Instead of moving the embassy to Jerusalem, George W. Bush and Jim Baker gave us the two state solution and made Muhammad Abbas in in Palestine. The palace, the PLO leader made him a legitimate politician. He's a thug and a fiend. Who's going to hell? Okay. You remember the first couple of weeks of his presidency and he went on what was came to be known as the Muslim ban and we're looking yep. at each other. It's happening, guys. Yes. It's happening. That, what that Jim Baker? Yes. Yeah. No, James Baker was his James name, but J- yeah, not not the televangelist. Oh, okay. okay. But different different. Good Jim clarified. James. Yeah, the good clarifier. Thank you. Particularly with the conversation about Mr. Falwell Jr. Yes. So there ha- there was evidence pre and post-election that if you could get Trump's attention enough and show that this works, he doesn't care. You give him what he wants, which is acclaim, respect, honor. 
Caesar delivers in this case. Sometimes this sometimes Caesar's corruption can work for you. Right? Where and, and I was this close, man, and you know this. Yeah. This close. Where it changed for me was at that family leader event where all the candidates are there. And this is the one where he talked about John McCain and I don't I prefer prisoners that don't or soldiers who don't get captured. He said Norman Vincent Peale was his spiritual guru. And he was, he essentially makes Joel Osteen look like Augustine. All right. He, um, I mean, he was the original self esteem, you know, uh, uh, heretic peddler from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And then that's where he also said, I've never asked God for forgiveness because I've never done anything wrong. And, I, and I'm sitting there thinking, it's like I can almost feel scales coming off my eyes. I'm standing backstage, I'm 20 feet from him. And, and I'm, and I'm like, you know, Frank Luntz kind of views himself as kind of a um, theistically open, but a, but kind of a, a an agnostic Jew. And I'm like, if Donald Trump is falling apart under the moral and spiritual questioning of Frank Luntz, there's no way that this is going to hold scrutiny. And I come from a military, my wife comes from a military family. I've talked about that before. You know, I mean, she was literally born in Nuremberg, West Germany, on a military base, okay? And graduated from Fort Campbell, Kentucky High School, and I'm going to go home, and I'm going to, and because we have to do this together or I won't go. And I'm, we're going to, I'm going to sell her on, yeah, let's back the guy that insults POW. I, I don't think this is going to work. Guys. And it was, and the reaction after the wow, it was pretty yeah. casual, because at the outset, we, we all agreed, Trump being in this thing is going to be good for the yeah, dialogue debate. Yeah, because he'll at least push, push the Bush candidates, yes. And yeah. then to get closer, wow, could he really be the guy? But then, after the initial wow, it was like, well... Okay, that's done with. That was interesting. And it, it was pretty yeah, much okay. Yeah. We're going to move I, on from I, this. I came, I was, I, I walked out. I never met with him. As he was, Ben Carson and Candy Carson are, I'm 20 feet from Trump. They're sitting five feet from me. And we're looking at each other like, we've all waited for the Trump implosion. It just happened right now. It's over. All right. I walk, I'm walking up the stairs and um, I mean, it, it, every, it, obituaries are being written. Trump is walking off the stage. I make eye contact with him. I, I, it's, it's rare I do this in life. I hit the eject button. I didn't even wait to talk to him because I, I, he was going to probably ask me if, how would I fix this? Or, and I'd be like, I would drop out and save my family's empire from imminent doom. <laughs> I don't know the answer. So I hit the eject. I come back to our studio, our stage where we're broadcasting live from because you guys are filling in for me while I was waiting to go meet with him. Right. And I'm like, well, I guess that flirtation's pretty much over, right? And we just kind of all moved on. We yeah. didn't. We thought it was the end. And the and Bob J- Bobby Jindal had given like the big speech that day, and he was actually the big story. If you go read my Washington Times column after that event, I barely wrote about Ted Cruz. The whole thing was this was kind of Bobby Jindal's moment to you know kind of made himself a major candidate for the conservative base. And uh, um, my, I you know, Amy was there with me that weekend and she looks at me and goes, well, it's probably for the best, man. He was going to probably put us in impossible situations and we couldn't def- defend the indefensible. And it's best that we just kind of move on. And I get a, I get a, I, her and I go to the movies the next morning after church and I get in the car and uh, she checks my voicemail and there is a, uh, a voicemail from Trump's original political guru, Sam Nunberg. And he goes, hey, I just sent you a link. I want you to read it. And I, I go to read the story. 
And it's a column in USA Today, which number Ghost wrote for, for, for Trump. And it's titled, I Will Not Be Lectured To. And it basically says John McCain, I, Trump's, Trump, in Trump's voice, I've done more for POWs than John McCain. Um, I don't have to apologize. I will not apologize. Doubles down. It was the first time we'd seen the pattern that has now worked for him the last couple of years. This was where it debuted right here. Where he, no remorse, no repentance, a double, a triple down, and a giant middle finger ending with a cool modi, how you like me now. And I said to Sam on the phone, I'm like, bold move, Cotton, but I don't, I don't think that one's going to play. He goes, I'm su- he called me out. You know, I'm, he was, I'm surprised. I took that right out of Rules for Patriots. <laughs> it's your playbook. That's what I use. I'm so, I, I can't believe you don't think this is going to work. And I, I really thought there was a chance that was the last time Sam Numberg and I were ever going to have a conversation. <laughs> All right. We've actually been buds for the last several years. Okay. I just talked to him last week. Um, and I, I kind of forgotten about Trump. I was now, I kind of had gone down to back to worldview. I'm, I'm down to Huckabee Walker, Jindal and Cruz. And I'm kind of doing my final interviews with those candidates now. And I go to check in with a buddy of mine, Chuck, who I had recommended to the Trump people to hire. And they did at a huge dollar amount at, on my recommendation. Basically they brought him in to organize for Iowa. And I, I, out of the blue, I just called Chuck one day. This was like almost a week later. And I thought for sure Chuck was going to tell me we're taking on water because this was my first lesson that America is not Twitter. Because all I'd seen is Trump's obit had been written by everybody on the right and the left. And I called him up. I said, boy, I bet it's really tough, man. I kind of almost felt bad. Like I played a role in getting him in this mess, right? And he said to me, you know, I was actually going to drop out. I was so offended at what Trump said. And I decided I'm going to wait and see it through the weekend and see what the people think. And he goes, Steve, I've never seen it like this in my political career. We're getting snail mail, emails. I can't tell you how many veterans have sent me letters and notes telling me I hate Trump. I can't stand him. I'm just so tired of watching politicians the minute they step on a rake, feel like they have to apologize to all these ninnies in the press. I'm glad someone told them to go screw themselves. I'm, I don't even like your guy. I'm going to vote for him just on that principle alone. I hate these people. And I'm tired of them deciding what we are allowed to say and what we are allowed to think in public when they're a bunch of flaming hypocrites that then don't hold themselves to the same standard. And a lot of what you know about Trump now as a politician and as the president of the United States, a lot of those seeds were planted at this moment that you're asking me about. The game plan that he would then go on and master really had its birthplace here. So in many respects, this was the breaking of at least a Overton window. Yes, and when I eventually decided for Cruz, I was one of the most vocal advocates in the Cruz campaign for keeping normalized relationships with Trump. Uh, I was I thought it was strategically dumb to take on Trump because I'd watch Rand Paul do it and collapse. I watched Bobby Jindal do it and collapsed. I'd watch every candidate to try to do it collapse. I'm like, let them go out there. We're not even we're not we're 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 trying to build a different conservative base than Trump is. The time will come when it's us versus him. But we we have to eliminate let every, either eliminate everybody else or let everybody else eliminate themselves. You know the reason Rubio's people want us to go out there and confront Trump is so that we eliminate ourselves for them. We're not running Rubio's campaign. We're running Ted Cruz's campaign. Rubio can make his own strategic decisions. We should focus on ourselves. And where I began to change on my thought process on that. So I was on the debate team in in Colorado and. Um, we were out there at the University of Colorado. And even in the back room there, I'm still advocating, let everybody else engage Trump. 
Ted, you use this as an opportunity to introduce real conservatism to the rest of the country. And and Ted did that masterfully. And it was his best debate performance of the entire campaign, I thought. Um, when we got to the last debate or the, in Iowa, and this is the one that Trump eventually backed out of, um, I had I was now on the debate prep team saying I had taken a 180. And it's what he did to Ben Carson that had changed my mind. Uh, and it was the playing of the birther card and everything else. Uh, and uh, in, in a previous debate, Cruz had masterfully turned that around on him and pointed out by his own definition of natural born citizen, he's not one either because his mother was born in Scotland. And you could see how demo- how the blood left Trump's face when he got his pants pulled down. And that's why he didn't come to the last debate because he got because that because he got his pants pulled down in that one. And he didn't he didn't, you know the bullies don't like to be you know hit don't like it when somebody punches back and. You know, there were phone calls between the two campaigns going on that and, and I'm in that back room when that was going on. And I'm and I had gone from the person a few months prior saying, hey, Trump's actually maybe even helping us in a way to now being I was when those call, don't trust those guys, don't trust him on any level. But also at that time is when um, uh, Corey, what's his face, had taken Lewandowski. over Lewandowski. And it, it was different than it was when Sam and, and some of the other people were around. You know, like I never met Michael Cohen, never heard his name. Um, I I never met. I didn't know about Jared Kushner. I didn't find out about Jared Kushner until like Super Tuesday. So like when so understand for like two years, you know, I'm engaging directly with Donald Trump and his associates. And I never heard about Ivanka or Jared Kushner. I was never told I had to meet Michael Cohen, any of these people ever. I just dealt directly with Sam Trump himself and his assistant Rona Graff. So are we, maybe you're going to have to get this on the other end, but th- this is ultimately, you're describing what was, shattering that Overton window was an act of revenge against the Republican Party. And what They weren't even really thinking right. far enough, could we win? We just want that thing to yeah. die. Yeah, he was just a Molotov cocktail, basically. Yes. People, well, he, was the, uh, he was the blunt instrument people picked up. Uh, the jo- he was the jawbone of an ass people picked up right with the, um, under the right, inst- they had the right instinct. It was just a matter of whether they had chosen the right the right instrument. Or I want I want to ask a question about that when we come back okay. because we've got a live read. Uh, I think that we need to get in here, but I've got a question about that as it pertains to the conservative movement, and I'm doing air quotes here for for those listening to us. When we come back, all right, we will do that when we come back. We're talking about my new book, Truth Bombs: Confronting the Lies Conservatives Believe to Our Own Demise. You can get your copy right now at Amazon.com. I saw we're approaching. I don't know the exact number, um, but it's actually a, a lot of five-star reviews. So thank you very much. Got a nice endorsement uh, uh, the last couple of days from Mark Meckler uh, at the Convention of States who wrote a nice note and sent it out to their mailing list, which is like, I don't know, three and a half million people or something. So uh, thank you uh, to Mark and the uh, team at COS for that. They had me on their Facebook Live as well. So we'll continue talking about um, – my history with Donald Trump and why I don't think he's either the problem or the solution with and for the Republican Party. Next, stay tuned. Hey, did you know there is only four major cell phone carriers in the entire country? Well, this is because it's simply too expensive for every carrier to put up their own towers. So for the most part, you get the same reliable nationwide coverage 
no matter which service you use. So really the difference is what that company then determines to do with the money you pay them. And that's why Patriot Mobile was created. The CEO of Patriot Mobile is a former combat veteran who served in both Iraq and Afghanistan. He and the founders of Patriot Mobile realized that the left is always using their corporate interests to fund their candidates and causes. So why can't conservatives do the exact same thing? Join the thousands of Americans using Patriot Mobile today. It is easy to switch and their unlimited talk and text plans start as low as $20 a month. Um, Patriot Mobile. If you want to mention the blaze when you call 800 a patriot or visit them online at patriotmobile.com slash blaze, you'll get free activation for up to two lines. Again, if you mention blaze when you call them at 1-800-A-PATRIOT or visit them online at patriotmobile.com slash blaze, you get free activation for up to two lines. That's patriotmobile.com slash blaze, patriotmobile.com slash blaze all right so we're back with our book study here of my new book uh, truth bombs there it is confronting the lies conservatives believe to our own demise and this week we're looking at uh, the lie that donald trump corrupted the conservative movement and i disagree i think and i think he's neither the solution nor the problem with the movement he is a mere symptom for good or for bad probably depending on the decisions he makes or what he uses his platform for on a daily basis aaron you wanted to chime in on this yeah so i think kind of a two-part part uh, question here uh, first of all i would like you to restru- reset what a movement actually is um and then in that contact uh, context if you would um if you would maybe discuss whether or not you think Donald Trump um, is is the same type of symptom that the Al Sharptons, the uh, Jesse, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the, the race baiters that t- have kind of taken advantage or are symptom of what became of the civil rights movement, or if he's a different type of symptom than that. Because we've had these conversations before about how when movements fail to become movements anymore mm-hmm. and they just become industries – um, they produce these types of symptoms like the uh, grifters, uh, such as uh, as Al Sharpton. Uh, do you think Donald Trump is that same type of grifter or is he just a, a different type of symptom? And maybe you've already addressed that, but I thought, uh, again, resetting what a movement actually is. And in light of that, what, what kind of symptom Donald Trump is? I would define a movement as a collection of people united behind shared principle, value, Virtue, or these things could be plural, not singular, vision, um, with whose purpose is to move those around them um, to share those values, virtues, principles, vision with them. You guys okay with that definition? Yeah. Yep. Okay. I, I, I don't think there is a conservative movement. And that's why Trump is not the, did not corrupt it. Um, could Trump have happened if there was a conservative movement? No, nope, no. Was there ever? So then the question becomes: Was there ever one? I I don't know the answer to that. You know, and, and that question probably predates me. Um, I I think I think Trump is 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 something similar to Al Sharpton. Although I don't think it's a moral equivalency. I think it's a situational similarity. Here's what I mean by that. Al Sharpton is a symptom is a symptom of the civil rights movement ceasing to be a movement and becoming a cottage industry. Uh, race pips, race baiters. It's a cottage industry. 
um, from Tawana Brawley to Jesse Smollett to now. Okay, the his ascendancy as a guy whose career in the public mind literally began with anti. Depending on when you mark his tenure beginning, Al Sharpton's ascendancy begins with you know um, anti-Semitism or a, or a scam, depending on where you mark his beginning. Um, if you still had a civil rights movement, he would not have made it beyond those initial forays. He'd have been rejected. The fact that he has ascended to its highest planes is evidence of the fact that it's not a movement. It's a cottage industry. I would say the same thing about Trump. I would say Trump's ascendancy is evidence of the, of the end of the conservative movement and its devolution to an industry, a cottage industry. We're here to peddle wares for the most part. I'll give you an example. I've never been invited to speak at CPAC. And I mean, I've had Fox News, New York Times do profiles of me as way blowing my influence out of proportion. Okay. But do profiles of me as essentially some kind of commodus type of figure of the Iowa caucuses. That's not true. I have a lot of, I'm not going to lie and say I don't have a lot of influence, but it's not the kind of influence where I literally send out a smoke signal and 10,000 Iowa activists are like, all right, uh, so says Dave, so say we all. It's not, it's not that kind of influence. The kind of influence I have is I'm one of the few people who knows almost every activist you would have to know to do business here. That's different. It's more of a relational thing that's tough to quantify. I don't move herds of voters. I don't, I don't do that. People think for themselves. But despite that, I've never been invited to speak at CPAC, and Van Jones, who's a communist this year, has been. Why? Because somebody, uh, probably Jared Kushner or the Kochs, who are really running the show, they want it highlighted that they emptied the jails because we're racist for putting you know, drug dealers in prison now. So that's why they did it. That's, that's not a movement. A movement would seek to co-opt or defeat Van Jones. See, Van Jones is part of a movement. He's coming here to co-op. He's coming to CPAC to co-op you. Because then you'll think, you know, Van Jones was with me on this. Maybe he's not so wrong when he says, you know, we need to have open borders then too. You're giving legitimacy. You've, let, you've opened. He's not even a Trojan horse. He's walking in with the other team's jersey on and you're, you're letting him in the huddle. Who does that? You do that when you're an industry. When you and you're and, and in, industries worry about things like well we don't want to be called racist. That's what industries worry about things like that. Movements are like uh, you can peddle your fake racism somewhere else, and we're going to shove it so far down your throat you're going to crap it out the other end. That's what movements do. Industries are concerned about branding. Industries are concerned about uh, labeling. Movements define brands. Movements alter and change labels. See the difference. There's a major difference. Now, while I think they are situationally similar, I would not say they are morally equivalent. Because for everything that I have questioned about Trump in the past, I have little doubt he has a genuine love for many of the same things we love about America. I don't believe Al Sharpton does. Unless he can bend it to his particular benefit you know when he doesn't feel like paying taxes for example all right so sharpton has sharpton took advantage of the civil rights movement devolving into a cottage industry by 
preaching anti-Americanism, by preaching American deconstructionism. Trump took advantage of the deconstruction and devolution of the conservative movement into a cottage industry by preaching American triumphalism, okay? So while there may be a situational similarity there, I don't believe they are morally equivalent. Does that answer your question? It does, yep. Floor is you guys. Next. Well, this takes me to Tucker Carlson and the conversation uh, that uh, Matthew Peterson also had with us, a, a re-envisioning of a, a conservative movement. So I think many of us have an idea, whether it existed or not, of what it was and what whether it didn't exist or not is a different question of what we are going to need in the, either now or in the future. Can 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 something readily be accomplished in the near term with Trump as president? Or do we need to think beyond? Is this a long game? Is there any short game to whatever we could do with whatever conservatism is? Or is it only a long game now? Well, I think the strongest argument for Trump is actually the short game. Because the long game is a loser here. I mean, because you're turning off wide swaths of... There's uh, no time for a long game. Yeah, the next... of People of Aaron's era that we actually need to win back from being literally brainwashed, okay? I mean, that that group... And it's not even just liberal or leftist millennials. Even... And Aaron can tell you this better than me. Go find your average Bible-believing Christian millennial. What do they think of Trump, Aaron? Your your, your own friend and peer group. Can't stand them. So, so, I mean, there's, there is no doubt long game damage is being done. The calculation is that we don't, we can't, the calculation is we don't have the time to play a long game out anyway, because, you know, as I've said before, the gates, the black gate is opened and the orcs are coming through. So I mean, we can, we can argue about whether, you know, the, the dwarves have a grievance over the elves that's justifiable for, you know, to be settled 10 years from now. We, we got 10 minutes. That's really the argument. Yeah. All of the Trumpian arguments are short-term. All of them are. Because we're not making any long-term headway on any level. And so that's why we're always, that's why all the focus in the debate is always about the last thing tweeted, the last decision made. Because the only argument for all the baggage that goes along with Trump is we are in the short term putting off the end game or, or you, you, you didn't let Barack Obama choose the judge to replace Antonin Scalia. You let Trump do it. And you got Neil Gorsuch who is eminently better than anybody Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton would have chosen. And they will be on the court for the next 25, 30 years. Those are the con see, those are the justifications you're making for recognizing we have driven a massive wedge, particularly in American evangelicalism. I can't speak for where you go to church, but in American evangelicalism, there is a, there, you want a wall? I'll tell you where there's a wall. There is a, there, it, it, am I overstating this, Aaron? Because what I see, because I'm kind of, in, I'm in the middle of it, 45 years old. So I got friends on both sides of this, you know, and they, I hear them yelling at each other through me all the time. What I see is we have put a giant wall generationally in American evangelicalism over Donald Trump. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that, there's walls. It's not, a, it's not only an evangelicalism. I mean, Donald Trump is, um, again, he, he, 
he is the center, it seems like, of everything we talk about. Mm-hmm. That cannot. That can only be bad. I well, that in in just uh, in its bare bones context, when a fallible human being sure is you're your, always going to reach a diminishing return your point plumb line yep. for everything that we talk about. Yeah, um, you can only go wrong with that, and that's there's it doesn't really matter whose fault it is uh, at this point uh, that that has to change going forward and i think that means an overall diminishing of um uh, an overall diminishing of uh, cultism of idolatry on both sides of on the both wall. sides yep. of the wall and that again brings us all of these chapters bring us straight back to revival uh, over and over again because when a fallible like i said a fallible human being is the plumb line by which everything is measured that's yeah that dog ain't gonna haunt a revival is a long-term game see this is why i'm fast conservatives basically going back to the beginning of our discussion i think we agreed conservatives gave up on principle in the short term to get to destroy the Republican Party on some level and get beyond that. But then, as we've talked about recently with the barbarians over the gate, there it, we don't have time. We, whether we didn't know that then, it just it, things are getting so crazy so fast. Every week, Aaron's montage gets more absurd. Yeah. That's why I asked the question. So the, the plan, what, getting, using Trump to, to get past the Republicanism du jour, that's a long-term strategy. There, but if we have no long-term, how do you use Trump in a moment was all that was in a specific now moment that was never meant to be a now moment? Well, what you what you can't have is you can't have conservative media stars uh, ripping Trump for selling us out on the budget, and then going on Fox News two or three days later and saying the exact opposite thing. That's that you can't have that. I mean, because Trump, every, Trump's religion is leverage. That's his religion, leverage. You know, whoever's got leverage wins. And when you give when you give away leverage to Trump, you get you get you get nothing in return. You only get from Donald Trump. Donald Trump looked up a guy um, from Des Moines, Iowa. Not because man, I, I read your writings, Steve, and they were they I thought they were really moving. Nope. Wasn't because, you know, you've got some really, I like, you know, you're not Kirk Herbstreit, but those, you know, your wife's right. You got some pretty blue eyes. Nope. Not why. It wasn't because, you know, on the other hand, he's got a wonderful singing voice. No. Why? I could not have found Donald Trump if I tried. Why did he come to me? Why did he come to me? Why? Leverage. I have leverage. He wants to win the presidency. The first step is where? Iowa. Where do I live? Iowa. Where, where is all of my leverage? Here in the same. Could I make it harder or easier for him to win here? Oh, harder. Or, or easier, depending oh, on... Well, now, I, mean, I, I couldn't determine whether I, he could live here. I'm not influential enough that I could solely determine whether he could win or lose here. Mm-hmm. But I have enough influence that I could make it easier for him to win right. or harder for him to not. That's for sure. That's why he did it. Leverage is the native tongue of Donald Trump. A movement seizes leverage. 
an industry does calculations of, you know, how are we going to get that 68-year-old cursing grandmother in between Paul Malls who watches Sean Hannity every night? How, you know, how, can we tell her the truth about how Trump just completely crapped the bed here? Or is she going to turn on us? That's what an industry does. An industry does this. Industry jumps on lot. Is it safe? You know, an industry is that gif of, of Homer Simpson who kind of backs into the bushes. That's what an industry is. A movement says, you kept your promise, you will deliver, or there will be heaven to pay. That's what a movement says. But an industry is always doing the, is always doing the math. How do we make this all work at all times? That's why we're not a movement. I think we've gotten more out of him than I thought we would. We could get even more. But we won't apply the leverage in most cases. Think about the fact, now he hasn't even fulfilled this yet. But, but he's going to use, he says he's going to use Title 10 funding to take, what is it, 60 million or something away from mm-hmm. Planned Parenthood? Un- understand, you guys are emailing me, what a token insulting gesture, Steve. You want to be further insulted? We haven't been able to get a Republican president to do that since Reagan. <laughs> since Reagan! George W. Bush was president for eight years. George Herbert Walker Bush was president for four. They wouldn't even do this token gesture, Donald. And then you, and then some of you come to me and say, why did these conservatives take table scraps from Donald Trump? Well, because before, when they were dropping a deuce in your face and telling you it was lasagna, table scraps freaking are pizza. Right out of the oven, baby. It's a banana split by comparison. That's why. No president since Reagan even did this. And the courts even upheld this in 1991. When George H.W. Bush was president, he didn't do it. George W. Bush didn't do it. So is it a token gesture? Is it nothing compared to what he's given them via appropriations? Yeah. It's also more than we've gotten out of a Republican president. Um, Would a movement have put up with that? No. No. Because the movement defines All we do is a march every January. That's all we do. So great, you marched again. This token gesture is, in a desert, is a cup of water compared to what you were getting before. There's a truth bomb for you. Hey, are you lacking some uh, energy? Maybe not at that last rant. The conservative movement is. The conservative movement could use some from dusk to dawn from our friends at Brickhouse Nutrition. I am a huge fan of this product. I use it on a regular basis. No jitters, no calories, no sugar, no come down, no crash. None of the other things you've got to worry about, ingredients you can't pronounce. None of the other things from that stuff you get that's chemically induced that you buy at a convenience store. Get it from a physician-directed company like Brickhouse Nutrition. Made the way Mother Nature and your creator intended from dusk till dawn is the name of the groundbreaking formula and if you go to BrickHouseSteve.com and use my name Steve as a promo code you'll get 15% off of your first order BrickHouseSteve.com promo code Steve back at it again tomorrow until then John 317 this is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.